0: hey everyone welcome to another edition of sports with friends this is uh, your friend seth everett and thank you for downloading thank you for subscribing and i appreciate all the kind words boy you would have thought that i got struck by covid or something even worse i had a broken mic wire and two weeks ago we missed one week and boy you guys were really nice on 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 twitter and instagram and all that stuff and nobody wrote bad things on itunes so we're good to go this is episode Two fifty nine, and uh, we have been trying to get through the pandemic. I mean, it's it's dominated everything in the world, let alone the sports world. And so, I'm not going to spend the entire episode on it. But uh, we have a really fun guest today. I've known him at least a decade, if not longer, uh, as the outstanding sports writer. Um, most recently, the New York Post. I knew I met him. He was with the Daily News. I remember that. And uh, currently, he's kind of in the middle of the COVID 19 thick of things, not health wise, but professionally. And we'll talk about that as well. Peter Boddy is with us. Peter, thank you so much for doing this, man.
1: Hi, Seth. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No,
0: I appreciate you You're doing this. And uh, you've been, how long have you been uh, a, a sports writer? You started, I believe, on a beat and then you became a columnist. How long have you been a writer in the New York sports scene?
1: I actually, um started at the New York post in 1990, uh, out of college. Um, Damn. and I started writing for them. Uh, like I, at first I was working in the office and doing like the st- uh, stats pages, what they call an agate clerk. Um, and then I was promoted to, uh, to a writing job in 1993. I covered, uh, covered high schools, uh, in New York, I covered like Stefan Marbury, Felipe Lopez players like that. And then I got oh, wow. uh, promoted to the Islander beat in 1994. And did that for a few years uh, for the post. And then I got hired in 97 by the Daily News to cover the Yankees. Um, and I was there for 20 years. And then uh, wow. back to the post, back to the post last October. And, uh, but that was in a, yeah. in
0: a columnist role, right?
1: Well, I was a columnist at the Daily News and then, you know, a lot of us uh got laid off uh, by the Daily right. News in and uh, the Daily News literally yeah. fell
0: apart. There's
1: Yeah, really they tore apart, the they tore apart that that sports section. Um and then I went back to the Post uh last year in October uh 2019. Um but uh as you mentioned in the in the opening, uh I've been out on furlough uh as have, you know, a few other post colleagues and uh we're just hoping to you know hopefully get back get back soon you know once the game if the games once the games resume and and hopefully keep going i mean who knows what's (laughs) going to happen now you know what's with what's happened the last couple of days in baseball so uh so we're all kind of waiting to get you know to get back to work um uh but uh you know hopefully hopefully that situation gets rectified soon
0: well, and and I've spoken to you in press boxes, but I don't see you doing a lot of radio, television kind of stuff. And you know, a lot of writers from this generation have. Um, is it because you have a passion? Is it because uh, you know networks haven't <laughs> they've projected you? I, I don't know. I I don't think that's the case because you got a wit about you. Uh, how? What is? Um, what's your take on? radio television podcasting all of that stuff versus just the written word
1: well i mean obviously the written word is is kind of where i i made my mark in new york but uh but i enjoyed doing uh i enjoyed doing the you know the other media as well uh you know at the daily news we used to have a show called daily news live on on sny sure sure um so i was a i was a regular on that show for yep. for several years and um and sny before uh you know uh Before this season got delayed, uh, you know, they were using uh, several of us, uh, you know, on their postgame show and on their highlight show at night, uh, Geico Sports Night. So I've had a fair amount of, uh, you know, TV exposure in the last in the last several years. And I I enjoy doing it. But, uh, you know, writing is my number one, my number one passion.
0: My favorite Daily News live story I will ever forget uh, involves another former Daily News person, Roger Rubin. And we were in the set. I was the uh, SNY baseball guy. And we were doing Daily News Live. And it was the day after The Sopranos ended. Okay. And and Gary Apple was hosting. Roger Rubin was a panelist. And in the meeting, we said, we are going to go over this in the first segment. Like, we're talking about The Sopranos, the, fi- the finale the, in the first segment. And he was there. And no one thought anything of it. And as soon as we get on set, we're live. And Gary Apple goes to the panel and he says, let's talk about that finale. And Roger Rubin says, don't give anything away. I taped it.
1: <laughs> I yeah, that's that. that's Raj. He's one of my he's one of my favorites, man. <laughs> he's one of my he's one of my close friends. And uh, yeah, I could, I, that's that's hilarious. I didn't even know. I never, never heard that story before
0: and I'll never forget that cuz I was like wait a minute how can we do this segment about the finale and not talk about the finale and i just i just remember remember that um 20 years you covered the yankees for 20 years you're making me feel old
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i wasn't the beat writer all those years but uh, i definitely have covered I definitely have covered games uh, as, as a beat writer and a columnist. Uh, yeah. And, and I definitely met you in
0: baseball, right? I know, I know you've covered other sports, but I've met you in baseball. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that i I was aware of you even before I came back to New York when I was with the Mariners and we played the Yankees, I remember seeing you and, and reading your work and probably got research out of it that I used on a show sometime. When did you realize that uh, covering the Yankees could be a book? What what what's the hint and when does that impetus come from?
1: Well, here's the thing, right? I mean it's the Yankees. So there've been a million books written about them. Um but uh the Big Fifty is a million and, is, and here, one. Here we go. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Big Fifty was a series uh from Triumph Books. They've done uh they, they they've done uh volumes on on other teams and some in other right, sports. Saw, yeah. Um but the you know the Yankees, the challenging part about a the Big Fifty men and moments that made the that made the franchise is kind of the the biggest challenge for the Yankees is, is narrowing it down to 50. Whereas some other teams you might have to stretch to get to 50 um, that deserve their own chapters or whatever. The Colorado
0: Rockies don't have. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And and not to take away from any other teams, but the Yankees are just a different animal. Um, You know, 27 world series championships and dozens of hall of famers. And, and, and then that's not even including, you know, some of the great moments that, that happened uh, perfect games and, Roger Maris's 61 homers and Reggie's three homers in the world series, things like that. So I, you know, I I knew I had to narrow it down. So what I decided to do was, um, put all, put all of say Babe Ruth's moments into one chapter, put all of Jeter's moments into one chapter. Cause let's face it, I probably could have done 10 chapters on Derek Jeter's great moments with the Yankees. So, so I did it that way to, to narrow it down. Um, and then, you know, even some of the world series years, uh, say for instance, uh, they won five in a row from 1949 to 1953 so i i made that one chapter because that was the only way i couldn't do a separate chapter on every championship year mm. um but i feel like i feel like i've covered all the ground of the of the past century of yankee history even if even if some players didn't get their own chapters they're mentioned prominently in some of the chapters about the different world series years um and i tried to i i tried to cover as many bases as I, as I could in, in, in doing it. And I even, I will say this though. I had kind of one labor of love chapter in the book. I, I really, I, when I, when I set out to do it, I knew I wanted to do this and I, I did a chapter on, on George Costanza and the and the Yankees involvement in the Seinfeld show. And oh, that was a lot that. of fun. I got, <laughs> I got to speak to Larry David for it and he was, couldn't have been nicer and more gracious and, and he knows really, his sports, man. Absolutely huge New York sports fan, but but gave me some great anecdotes about his dealings with Stein, with George Steinbrenner and the family, and also, you know, he was the voice of the Steinbrenner character on Seinfeld. Sure. So he just gave me some some great stories, and that was uh, that was one of the, the fun, you know, one of the fun chapters, I, I, I you know, for me in the book.
0: We'll get back to sports with friends in just a moment, but first, did you know that I have another podcast that I do? It's like sports with friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe. I have been a fan of comic books, animation, movies. And when I started the Hall of Justice podcast, we wanted to do it for adults. Why did I name it the Hall of Justice? Because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. The idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports but to bring it to the superhero genre. We have movie reviews where we spoil the movies. No worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, one of the neat things about their history is they have a generation of history that you don't have to, to dwell on Babe Ruth. You know that that's the the amazing thing is that you know I remember Marty Appel asked if he could come on the podcast. He wrote a book about Casey Stengel, and I said I'd love to know one person that knows who Casey Stengel is that knows what the word podcast is. Like yeah, I, right. I I just I would I would imagine, and their history is so extensive. And I remember growing up, you know, I was I was in the '80s, you know. And I, I like Don, you know, my guys were Don Mattingly and Dave Winfield and Willie Randolph and those guys. Right. And I just remember hearing the stories of Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Lou Gehrig and pride of the Yankees and all those different aspects of it. And now Mattingly's the relic, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there are people that are grownups that remember saying, Oh, I heard my dad talk about Don Mattingly. And I'm like, what, how is, how is that even possible? The nineties are a generation, you know, that that suffices and covers a whole generation of Yankee fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and in the book, I, obviously the the history is all out there but i wanted to kind of to to use it as a platform for for the younger fans too to kind of maybe learn more specifics about some of these guys that they've heard the names of because let's face it now you know you go to old timers day and the, the biggest cheers are for mariano and and bernie and people like that uh guys who played in the in the 90s whereas you know somebody like in recent years or you know like whitey ford or before he died yogi berra would get kind of polite applause because everybody knew that that these guys were you know, are, are huge names in, in the, in the team's history, but the bigger, the biggest cheers are, are now reserved for, for the more recent players. Like even somebody like Hideki Matsui gets huge ovations at, at old timers day. So. It's um, wild.
0: That, that's it, a it, wild it, it, idea.
1: Right. It's crazy. It's like, well, it's like, the music I listened to in the eighties is now, is now played on the, the oldie station. Right. So we had
0: oldie uh, stations. Like we, we grew up with oldie stations,
1: it's right? Well, weird. growing up with oldie stations, the oldies music was Elvis and the doo-wop songs of, that my mom used to listen to in the fifties. You know what I mean? And now it's right. like, you know, now the, now the, the songs from the eighties and even the early nineties are considered classic rock or, or, you know, or oldies level. It's, it's crazy. It's hard to believe that you know, more than 30 years ago, but Hey, we're not, we're not dating ourselves too much here. But back to the but back to the Yankees, it's it's true, and and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of give fans, you know, older fans maybe could reminisce a little bit, and and, and younger fans maybe could learn about kind of more specifics about Mickey Mantle and DiMaggio, and you know, even even guys like Thurman Munson and people like that, you know, people players that they didn't get to see play, um, you know, from from you know the past century of of, of the team's history
0: it's 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 pretty amazing i mean it's just amazing to think about uh how that that had that history all connects and you know what people's era is the best and i you know i i always say they can have as many retired numbers as they want like they're not going to run out of numbers that's if, if there needs to be a guy 147 like all these guys have these distinct histories
1: even though winfield should have his number retired you agree with that yeah, I mean, to to me though, the like with the Yankees, here's here's my thing with Winfield, and I th- actually think he, you know, he was a really good player for the Yankees in the decade that he was there. But I, I think the one thing with the Yankees is is to uh, to delineate because they have so many greats. Is is you know if you if if you haven't won a World Series, like I understand, Mattingly obviously deserves. Does certainly deserves his number being retired. But for me, there has to be kind of a delineation. Like, you're not going to see, you know, Mike Mussina's number be retired, even though he was really good with the Yankees um, and is, in, is now a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, I, I think it's okay to have kind of like this demarcation now where they give plaques to some guys so they're, so they're out there in Monument Park, guys like, yeah. you know, even Tino and Mel Stottlemyre and Willie Randolph and players like that. Because, you know, I, 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 don't, I think there should be a level that you have to attain to get your number retired. And I, I think they, I think they've retired the right guys. I think all the guys that have been retired should have been, um, you know, but I think at some, at some point there has to be, there has to be a line drawn and I, I think Winfield was a great player for them in the eighties. And obviously he had his issues with Steinbrenner and whatever, but, of course. um, and is a, is a, a legitimate hall of famer, but, uh, you know, I, I think you have to kind of draw a line, draw a line somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we'll see, I think we'll see more. I think we'll see more as, as we go here. Um, you know, but I agree with you. I mean, if, if a player deserves his number retired, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't say, well, they have too many numbers retired already. I mean, that's the, the greatness that's of the nonsense. Yankees. And I think it right. seems right. like the
0: Mariners think, should have more Alvin Davis should have his number retired. He was the <laughs> biggest player for a
1: generation. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any problem with that. If, especially if a guy is kind of special to a, to a franchise, and to a, a city, right. um, you know, you, I, I don't know. I, that's not my determination to make. I don't follow the Mariners as closely as you do, but uh I'm going to take your word for it. Um But for me, you know, the Yankees, you know, I know people questioned Pettit and Bernie and, you know, are they at that level? And I mean, I think, I think their importance to those championship teams, um, you know, merit merit their inclusion out, out, out there in Monument Park. And I, and I think, you know, if, when you win 27 world series, I think, you know, I think there are, there are a lot of deserving players i mean i I don't think say like a fan of the mets should be commenting on how many retired numbers the yankees have i mean i think the the mets probably should have a few more than they do but um you know the yankees have won so often um right that it's okay i mean it's it's okay for them to to honor as many players as they as they feel deserve it
0: Sure. Sure. Uh, the book is called the men and moments that made the New York Yankees, the big 50 part of the big 50 series, uh, which it's, it's a great idea. I guarantee you one story that's not in the book and I'll be shocked if it is is my favorite Babe Ruth story. Um, the story goes is they're in Chicago, they're playing the white Sox, and they're playing all day games. And, um, and the funny part about it and what happens: the manager of the white Sox takes the 20, you know, 24th and 25th guy on the bench and says here's 50 bucks get it, which is a fortune back in the 20s and he says get him hammered just take him out and get him sloshed so that he can't walk the next day and they are like okay skip no problem and they go and they get Babe Ruth and they take him out on a night on the town in Chicago they probably hit the lodge they do all these different things with Babe Ruth and the next day they're playing at 1 o'clock and Babe Ruth hits two home runs, and as he's rounding around third, after hitting the second home run, he looks into the White Sox dugout and goes, where are we going tonight, boys?
1: <laughs> That's great. No, and that story's not in the book, but I, but I love that story. Um, it's amazing that he would go out with the 25th guy on the White Sox, right? Um, <laughs> right. You know, that he, that he didn't have anything else to do that night in Chicago, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, those are the kind of stories, you know, Babe Ruth is this mythical figure in New York history, and, you know, obviously, obviously, The Yankees, as we know them, they had been around for, you know, several years before it, before Ruth arrived, but obviously they, they became the Yankees when he arrived. So that's clearly why he was the easy uh, chapter one in the book, because for me, that's where, that's truly where the, where the Yankees and their history uh, begins
0: well uh, there's no question about it and we have serious things we have to go around we can't mess around this this, this, this uh, there's a there's a pandemic going on so let's let's address that but I, again the 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 book is called the big 50 the men and moments that made the new york yankees I, you know and I should have been more polite you know i'm assuming that your health is okay and that your family's okay and that has this hit you really hard cuz living in new york it was once the hot spot it's not anymore uh what's been your stance other than the professional stuff what's been your stance with covid
1: i mean health-wise uh i've been fine my family's been fine no one's been affected by it i mean i have had uh friends uh you know a couple of family friends uh died from covid uh one of my mom's one of my mom's closest friends one of my one of my closest friends moms also passed away and of course. anthony causey who was a yep. uh, colleague at the post a photographer a long time yep. brilliant photographer at the at, really for, nice uh, guy for, for the new york post he died fairly early in this uh you know during this pandemic in in april and uh it was just a devastating day for all of us so i mean i i know th- personally know three people uh who, yeah. who passed away from it and uh you know, it always, it always angers me when I, when people talk about it being fake and not, and not being a big deal, because I, you know, I, I've felt it from a, you know, from a family perspective and from a, a work perspective. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a tough, uh, you know, few months for everybody. I know nobody wants to, you know, I don't want to get into politics or anything, but, you know, I know, you know, people still resistant to wearing masks and whatever, but you see how other countries have, Kind of eradicated this thing, and and we're not even close to doing that. So that that's what that's what annoys me. I think more than anything else.
0: Well, and it bothers me in the sense that, you know, Anthony's a great example because he's young,
1: and yeah, the Broadway in, actor, forties, right,
0: right, the Broadway actor. That you know, like people who are young. Because what I don't like is when people say, "Well, thirty-five members of LSU got positive, but don't worry, they're all fine." And I'm just like, you don't know that. You don't know that. And I'm not an alarmist in the sense that I'm not going to try to say that everybody who's ever had COVID-19 is going to have lung issues for the rest of their lives. But we don't know that fact. So to sit here and say to diminish it because Juan Soto tested positive is just not fair.
1: Yeah, it's it's not. And, and you know, baseball is kind of going through it right now with what's ha- you know, what's happening with the Marlins and and, who, you know, who knows you know, how fast, you know, that that could spread to, you know, another team or whatever. But I mean, this is clearly an outbreak with the Marlins. And, um, you know, I understand the, you know, the survival rate is, is uh, you know, is generally pretty high. And that's, you know, people are saying, you know, baseball has to go on and whatever. But I mean, they're, they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants here. I mean, they don't know. I mean, they, they're not doing it. They're not operating in a bubble like the NBA and the NHL are doing. Um, so, you know, I think they have to be, extremely cautious when a situation like this crops up i mean they can't just dismiss it and and go on with the games i mean they have to be careful i mean i know the yankees have had a couple of games now postponed in philadelphia because of you know because the marlins were there um
0: right and they brought their own cleaners which i thought was really cool
1: yeah i almost think you have Could to you imagine have to the be... cleaning staff at yankee stadium going
0: hey road trip all right how about this
1: right Did they get but, meal money? i mean you have to be you have to be super cautious with this, with this thing, because like you said before, there's so much unknown. Um And to, you know, to try to operate these leagues, we know everybody has missed sports and whatever, but to try to do it, it, they have to do it in a way that's safe for everybody involved and, and their families, because we've seen how this thing can spread.
0: Right. Um Given that idea, uh how confident are you in the bubble sports? What about the, what about the, I mean, to me, hockey wins, I mean, heck! If you break the bubble, you lose a draft pick. Um, basketball seems okay. Uh, I want the job of answering the snitch line, and I want to do it. And I've said this on the podcast for the last couple of weeks. I want to do it like Adam West in the old Batman show. I just want the red phone to light up and go, "Yes, Commissioner." LeBron's <laughs> where. Kawhi was with him. Robin, we have to go. And like, I just want to. I just want to have that gig. And I'd love a podcast of get me, you don't have to give me the names, but give me the transcripts, give me the transcripts of the snitch line and I will get voice actors to voice it. That would be the greatest podcast in the
1: world. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely listen to that podcast. Um, the thing with the, with the bubbles, right. Is, is when they let people in or out of the bubbles, they have to, they have to be vigilant in, in following the protocols. I mean, look at the Lou Williams thing, right? Like with the NBA, um, you know, he can't be showing up to, I understand he had to, you know, he got a, he got an, uh, an excused absence to leave for a, for a funeral, but then you can't show up at magic city and, and, you know, risk, you know, you're, you're, you're risking jeopardizing the entire bubble situation by, by doing that. So, you know, I mean, these guys have to be smarter if they, if they do leave the bubble or come in contact with people outside the bubble. I mean, that that's the point of it is that's the reason that they're doing this is, is you know to shut out the the dangers of, of of contracting the virus from from an unknown source so i mean you can't you know williams in my mind williams should be suspended for for doing that um but uh i wouldn't you be know.
0: surprised if they do i mean, I mean again yeah, we're, I mean, I we're recording think, this we're be. recording this it's the 29th uh, the day that it's coming out if you're listening to this in the future please let us know how the flying car is because i'm very i'm very curious about the future uh, you know, I don't know when people listen to podcasts and I'm worried about all these uh, podcasts during the pandemic because people know how it's going to be <laughs> over. And like, you know, 2022, some guy listens to me and you're talking about this like, oh, those worry warts. What do they know? They don't know anything. Or the whole civilization will be wiped out and these podcasts will be our only record.
1: Yeah, well, I'm fine being on record as being a worry wart because, I, you know, like I said. I,
0: Again, I, you I, lost three three close people to you. you
1: fr- right. I didn't want right. to say friends
0: because it, it, it's, it's, it's more complicated than that. But, yeah, you, you lost people. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, I remember when I went on the radio in Denver in back in April and the guy across the street from me who's in the media, he had it uh, two houses down. A husband and wife had it. I live like walking distance from a hospital and they had 800 cases there. And I was just like, walk around my block. Anybody who I was called a coward. I was called an alarmist. On the, on the, not by the hosts, the hosts were fine. It was yeah. the the Twitter and the, and, and the listeners and all the people that heard it. And I couldn't, and all I said to all of them is take a walk around my block and hug everybody. Cause it was spring and people were starting to go outside. I said, just hug everybody on the, on the block And at five o'clock on a, on a Tuesday, you'll have it in three days. I promise. you.
1: Right. And, and that's the problem is that, that there aren't any sort of uniform rules. To, to doing this and there weren't any in terms of states opening up early and whatever. So, I mean, there, you know, that's why the numbers are still are, are, are still growing. Um, whereas other countries that were hit just as hard as we were a, in Europe, um, you know, are, are much closer to being back to normal than, than we are.
0: Yeah. There's no question about it during the whole baseball thing. And this is kind of a media question and I feel bad saying this because, you know, we, we have so many of the mutual friends, um, But I always got the sense when the baseball owners and players were fighting and I literally thought that the people who were writing that what a travesty that these two sides can't get together. And I didn't want this plan to happen anyway. I was always about covid for me. I just thought this was hodgepodge at best. This was a bad plan. This was this is ugly. And the fact that the owners were lying through their teeth saying that they were broke made me crack up, to be honest with you. And all the people that were writing, and there you know who, you saw the same articles, and I was just worried that more people were writing that because that was their emotion because they saw your situation and they were like, if they cancel the baseball season, all these guys are going to be furloughed because what will there be to cover? And I just thought, I thought it was jaded, and most sports writers, especially baseball writers, are the epitome of objectivity I thought the emotions were seeping through some of the storylines because I didn't think this was an American tragedy that baseball's players and owners were fighting.
1: No, I mean no. Obviously, with what everybody was going through, nobody wanted to see a, a, a you know, a drag out brawl between billionaires and millionaires and whatever. But um, I always, I always laugh when I see people tweet or or suggest um, that the me, you know, that that members of the media are hoping are hoping for everything to be shut down or hoping for sports to be canceled for the year or whatever. Like that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I would love to return to work today if I could. I mean, that it's, it's absurd to say that. I mean, nobody wants the games to happen. I mean, people, uh, there's too much, obviously political divisiveness going on, but, uh, and I'm trying to stay away from that as best as I can, but. No, but um, you can't because, because
0: it's connected. It, 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 we can be, you know, wanting people to be healthy, but why is it that, there are some states where the governor's saying the exact opposite. There, uh, that's that's as vanilla as I can say it.
1: <laughs> no, and you're absolutely right. And that's and that's the issue that we have is that there are you know there there are there are different roads being taken here by by different states instead of one uniform policy. It should have been things should have been mandated from the beginning. Um, as painful as it probably would have been, uh, for for uh, you know for everyone to remain shut down for an extended period. But, I mean, we'd probably be in a better situation now if if that were the case.
0: No, there's, there's, there's no secret about it. And 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 that's one of the biggest biggest issues with this whole thing. Um, so then they they don't, you know, and the best example of that was the people who came out, and I promise this podcast is not all going to be about this, because um, you have a book out and you have so many I stuff. I do. On- Baseball announces their plan to come back and they insisted on no bubble and the no isolation, and there's literally nothing that can be said about what the players are doing when they leave the park. And you know, you made the comment about Lou Williams, like that's a controversy and a half. But you know, any member of the Mets, Yankees, Phillies, White Sox, they can go wherever they want. And because we're so fractured, and this was a great point that was made to me. I didn't come up with this, but if we're so fractured. Twenty years ago, I learned that a baseball clubhouse is like a high school cafeteria. You have your your social outcasts, you have your your frat guys, you have your party animals, you have your shy people, you have your shut-ins. You have all of that in a typical baseball clubhouse. Well, if if it's an American clubhouse and we're the melting pot of of, of the world, there's three to five guys on each team that maybe quietly think that COVID is stupid, like you're like you were alluding to. They, you know, and that's my fear is that as this goes on, it's not a united front that everyone's taking this seriously. I think the right. league I mean, is trying, but you can't make people believe what they don't want to believe.
1: Right. And there's no way to police what happens outside, um, you know, when when players are away from the from the ballpark and even even at the ballpark. I mean, you've seen it already. We're only a few games into this experiment, if you will. And, and uh, you know, you already see it. You see guys hugging and high-fiving and all the things that they said that they weren't going to do there's no way to yeah. keep them socially distant if they're not willing to do it it's just you know creature of habit stuff and and um that's the hardest that's the hardest part is they they can't uh i mean they in my mind they had to be they have to be even more vigilant about it and enforce the protocols that they set up otherwise then I mean, what's the point of the protocols right but you're right there are people that have different thoughts there are people who think they're invisible invincible there are people who you know who don't believe that it's a big deal um so if they're if you know all it takes is one or two people to kind of go outside the go outside the box and and you can bring it back in and and we've seen how quickly this uh this virus can spread and look if if they if you want if you want the sports to to go on you want these leagues to happen this year then they have to be they have to be tougher and the and the players and and everyone involved have to be uh more disciplined in in what they're doing otherwise there's no chance that this thing can work a model used to be a role model we have
0: a special announcement here to make on the show and it involves spotify how many of you have spotify You know, my daughter made us get Spotify because she wanted to listen to music. And then I found out something that really made me cool in my house. We are so excited to announce that Sports with Friends and my other podcast, Hall of Justice, is now available to stream free on Spotify. If you haven't tried listening there yet, it's free to download. Use Spotify on any device. It's a great listening experience. You go straight from listening to your favorite music, Prince, and switch right over to our podcast in the very same app. And when my phone is plugged into my car, my daughter can control the music with her app because we have the same account. Just search for our show, Sports with Friends, on Spotify and start listening free. And remember, it's totally free, even if you're not a premium member. College football versus the NFL. It's very different because I don't, the money is different. There's no secret about it, but the dependence on the money isn't. The 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 college situation is, again, fractured because everything is run by conferences. So you have the SEC making one set of decisions versus the ACC and the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and all these other different conferences. What do you see for college athletics, given the fact that so many universities are already planning online virtual? What do you do there?
1: Right. And obviously, like you mentioned, the money is so significant at that level, especially at the the, the upper right, tier it's, conferences it's, in, in right. college I didn't football. want to
0: say that the NFL is, is, is it makes college football look cheap. It's, it's, it's not apples to apples, but like Alabama needs that money.
1: Right. I mean, obviously football is the huge moneymaker in those sec schools, um, you know, but it's, it's weird to me to, to, to be having a college football season, um, when school is not in in session, um, you know when it's only virtual uh, learning and and things like that. But uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I don't know how they're going to pull it off. I mean, you already see, you know, schools having to shut down practices because you know double digits of players are are testing positive. Um, it, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to imagine them pulling that off. And then you have and then you have schools that that are fully planning to have fans in attendance. Like I I don't understand That's,
0: how that, how that
1: can work, especially this year. I don't understand how you can, how how you can just plan on going ahead with, you know, there are some schools that are thinking that they can have 50% capacity or 40% or 25% capacity. And it just, it's just, it's just, there's so many factors that would be out of their control to, to let that happen. I understand them. I understand the money part of it, but in my mind i feel like i feel like they sh- everything should be i don't know if they can really do it logistically but if if they can push things back to the spring uh that to me is the that to me is the best solution on a much uh smaller scale my my son is a college uh just got named a head soccer coach at a division 2 school in long island malloy oh, college oh wow. congrats and thank you and and he um his season has already been pushed back to the spring the the conference has pushed all fall sports back to the spring it's obviously you talk about apples and oranges. I mean, it's a small school and it's, it's a non revenue generating sport and whatever, but uh, you know, I mean that I, I think those decisions have to be, have to be made. I mean, you know, and you have to make them sooner than later. I mean, we're, we're already just about into, into August as we speak. So uh, you know, so training camps would be opening, you know, within, within a couple of weeks otherwise. So um, you know, but the, but back to, but back to football and, basketball i mean obviously those are the huge je- uh, money generating sports um you know but I, I don't know how i don't know how to do it safely and i don't know how, it doesn't make sense to me to try to shoehorn it in if you can if you can just kind of postpone it until the spring
0: it's, it's, it's amazing but then there's the nfl and the n i thought jc Treder had the the line of the pandemic uh next to uh how i want to answer the snitch line um which was the nfl believes that covid will bend to it like like they, they really do like the arrogance that the nfl has had and this nonsense about not trading jerseys and you have to have your own water bottle and the, what was the other one no more than 184 people besides players and coaches can be on the field and i'm like 184 people need to be on the field how many officials do they have i i i, I didn't understand that and i've heard all kinds of rumblings i've heard media there's going to be one pool reporter coming and and that's it like i've heard i've heard if you're the beat reporter for the new york giants you're not going to the metlife stadium and you shouldn't there's no reason to like i don't understand why all these baseball writers are at the games they're and then talking doing... to the players on zoom
1: right exactly i mean they don't they don't have to be there. I mean it's I mean I, I I mean I certainly would never I love
0: christy Acker to the best, but she's like, well, "Well, we have to see what goes on." I'm like, "I have a TV. I can see everything that's going on."
1: Yeah, I mean I I understand both sides of it. Um I understand as reporters if you know, as long as you as long as there are protocols and and you're following it safely, you know, I, I can see wanting to wanting to be there because it is there it is different covering it that way and getting to watch the game even, you know, even in an, in an empty stadium um but yeah i mean all the all the contact with the with the players is all via via zoom and and you know the managers every day so it doesn't really matter if they're there or not they're not getting anything more out of being there other than the color of of being in the stadium um but yeah i mean the, the nfl i mean typical all powerful nfl thinking is is you know we're going to we're going to beat this thing we're not worried about it and whatever but i mean you have seen those several players uh, including uh, this week, as we speak on the Patriots, have, have already opted out of the season. So I, I think you're going to see more, especially because it seems like the players don't feel like the league has their best interests at heart. There are, there's definitely a faction of players that believe that. And i am be interested to see if some superstar players opt out now in the coming weeks as, as training camps uh, start to open.
0: Yeah. Football will be very, very interesting. What do you think of the, uh, the crowd sound? I personally, I can't stand it.
1: Um, yeah, I don't like it. It's I'm... not it's not consistent. I mean, I understand why they want it just to kind of give the players a feel of 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 there being some the viewers, some yeah. some, back, some background sound. They're also used to background sound, but uh it doesn't see it doesn't come across the TV very well. Um in the games that I've watched, um Do you think somebody at baseball is watching that? I would hope like, so. I mean, I would right, think so, but, like... but I mean I mean I guess they I guess they want some background noise so they maybe you don't <laughs> pick up every little sound that that comes through you know that comes through the tv whether it's uh players cursing or or whatever it might whatever it may be or you know you know somebody yelling instructions to somebody maybe they don't want you know they want to preserve that as best as possible but uh i mean to me it doesn't it doesn't sound great i understand why they're doing it um maybe and maybe as we go along here if if this continues uh you know maybe they'll figure out a way to do it better um I will say I like the um I kind of like the the virtual the virtual fans that were on Fox the other day. I know some people didn't I love hate, it, but right,
0: I, I don't I like that, and I like the cardboard ones.
1: Yeah, and I, the cardboard cutouts are are fun. I mean, the Chipper Jones one at City Field was a lot of fun. That's funny. Uh, and the teddy bears in Oakland. The teddy bears were cool. Uh, pictures of players' dogs. Uh, <laughs> Jeff uh, cutout of Jeff McNeil's uh, dog got hit uh, on a on. It was out. It was uh, in the outfield seats and got. Uh, got hit on a home run against the Braves. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, You know, I mean, those kind of things are fun. I mean, you're just, and, and, and the fact that fans, you know, can, can pay to have their, their likeness at the ballpark. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. Um, And I hope that they, that they get to, that they get to keep the cardboard cutouts when this is all over, but um, you know, it kind of at least gives a, you know, at least it's, it's at least a creative way to, to, you know, to try to help keep everybody, who would be going to the games involved, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely some, there are definitely some bugs in the, in the pumping in noise system. I mean, I would have, I would have hoped that, uh, that they would, you know, uh, pipe pumped in some booze when things go wrong. Right. I mean, if you really want to be fine, right. If you really want to make it realistic to the experience, then why not do that? I mean, I don't think it's, you know, I understand why they're. I, I I get it. I teams aren't going to do that, but I mean, to me, that would make it that would make it a lot more fun. It would make it more of the the true experience. I think.
0: But you've been to the ballpark like you've been there at three o'clock. You get to the ballpark early like sure. you've been there at three o'clock. That has a sound all to itself too.
1: Yeah, there's always like a sound, in. a sound to batting practice and a sound to. Um, you I know what it. it's just the kind of grounds crew on the field and things like that. Yeah, I mean I, that's all part of that's all part of it and you know fans don't get to experience it that early in the day. Um but yeah, that that's it's it's true. I mean as if as somebody who covers baseball, I mean that's part of the
0: you oh, know I the yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely the ex, the experience of the of the whole day. Um but you know the games I I I get that they want to try to make it as as close to normal as they can i don't know what even normal is at this point but uh you know i I like that they're that they're trying things i just think they need to figure out a way to do it better
0: yeah uh, no 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 question about it um but uh, it's good that it's good that it's back because people just are dying for it i mean they've been they've been dying for it um when you moved to baseball Mm -hmm. was that was, was that just an assignment was baseball your first love um you know, I, I know a lot of baseball writers that their first love is hockey, um, and that's me. I mean, I've covered baseball for 26 years, and I love hockey, <laughs> and that's my sport. Um, what about you? What's your connection? You know, when you decided you wanted to go into this business, what was your your fantasy? Was it the Super Bowl or the World Series or, 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 or the Stanley Cup or the NBA?
1: I will say the one thing that I've never covered is the Super Bowl of the big events. I've covered the NBA finals. I've covered the NHL finals. That's, you know, the Stanley cup finals. I've covered multiple world series, obviously, uh, you know, being a Yankee beat writer in the, in the late nineties and, um, into the two thousands. Um, I, you know, I grew up playing baseball. What a a time
0: to be a Yankee beat writer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My, my first full year on the beat was 98 and they won 125 games. So it it was a, that was a fun year. Um, but uh, you know, I, crazy, grew playing, I grew up
0: playing. That team won 125 games. You had Maguire, Sosa. Yeah. I moved to Seattle and I started working with the Mariners that year, and I watched Maguire and Sosa with Ken Griffey Jr. It was one yeah, of the strangest years. That whole year was one of the
1: most surreal sports years I could imagine. It really was. I almost felt like the Yankees were kind of an afterthought because of the Maguire Sosa yep. home run chase. Like until the until the postseason started, then it then it became the yankees quest but even winning 114 regular season games i felt like they were kind of an afterthought to the home run chase that year um you know they just they they just won every day it was an amazing year to cover um but uh but but going back to your original question um you know i grew up playing soccer and playing baseball you know through high school i wasn't good enough to play beyond that but uh but i always a huge baseball fan and was kind of one of the things that bonded me with my dad who you know grew up a you know big brooklyn dodger fan in brooklyn and then adopted the mets when they when they you know became a a national league team um so you know i grew up i grew up uh loving baseball and and uh you know it was an honor to 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 get the yankee beat uh you know that's one of the most prestigious beats in in uh in all of American sports. So, I mean, it was a, it was a, yeah, definitely a dream, but I love covering hockey. I, I love being at the games. There's nothing like it to me. To me, it's the best sport live. Um, you know, I covered a lot of down seasons with the New York Islanders. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I love, I, nothing better than, co- than covering the, than covering the NHL. Uh, the, you know, the players are great to talk to There's great access. Oh, um,
0: so much. it just, yeah. it
1: doesn't get, it doesn't get the same, uh, depth of coverage in new york because of nine teams and there are higher profile teams obviously in new york you know unless the the rangers go on a go on a run to the stanley cup finals it becomes a big story in new york but really not before that does it become a huge story mostly because the yankees and the two football teams and the knicks garner most of the attention you know and, and the mets as well um but yeah i they always have
0: dedicated would... fan bases you know and i you know, I, I've I've said all along, you know, on this podcast, um, I grew up a New Jersey Devils fan. That's the only yeah. professional team that I really root for. Um, you know, I don't have a baseball team. I don't have a basketball team because, you know, it's our job. But I do have a hockey team. That my, The Devils are my team. And their fan base, while it might not be as big as others, it is massive. And the Islanders have a massive fan base. And the Rangers, we know. And what I love about hockey, especially in the New York area, I love that you hate all the other teams. You have, everybody hates the Flyers. Everybody hates the Islanders. Everybody hates the Rangers if you're a Devils fan. Sure. And, it, and, and the rivalries are the greatest thing going for hockey, more so than I think any other sport, because Mets-Yankees isn't a real rivalry. Uh, Jets-Giants is hardly a rivalry. And Knicks-Nets is never a rivalry, because they're never good at the same time.
1: Right, yeah, the hockey teams definitely, definitely would have to be ranked at the top of of any rivalry list. Uh, I mean, obviously the Mets and Yankees played against each other in the two thousand World Series, which was a lot of fun. But I think a lot of it is taken. I think, I think a lot of that uh, gets uh, taken away from because of the because of the that they play each other every year in interleague now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to see the Islanders and Rangers play you know face off in the playoffs like they used to do regularly in the in the 80s and early 90s um they haven't done it since 94 the year the rangers won the cup so uh it would be nice to see them both good at the same time and to and to link up in a playoff series because that's really how the rivalries really take off but uh you know islanders rangers and rangers devils um are huge are huge rivalries are probably the biggest rivalries in new york sports
0: that 94 that Rangers-Devil series in 94 was one of Incredible. the... Incredible. Even though we didn't win it, I still think it's, it's one of the best series I've ever seen. And I was interning at WFAN with all these ranger fans and i was the only devil fan I, I couldn't tell anybody because i didn't want them to ostracize me because i was it was just beginning the internship was just beginning and that was one of the first things we covered in that summer we had uh the, the the knicks the rangers the oj and then the baseball strike and uh, that was, yeah i mean uh, that's
1: one of it that's one of the great uh 30 for 30s on espn oh, too the best that, one uh, yeah
0: the, all, all that one day that one that one day of the oj chase um where everything all came to fruition uh, in in the one day, um, what's the biggest difference between now that you've had time to digest it? What's the biggest difference between the old Yankee Stadium and the new Yankee Stadium? Uh, I Besides mean, nicer press box.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously the amenities at the new stadium are are much nicer, but it's basically just this kind of billion dollar monolithic stadium. It doesn't really have a, a enough really character and flavor for me, as, especially if, as somebody who was there at the old stadium during some of the great moments in the, in the nineties and, and, uh, and the two thousands. um, uh, For me, I mean, you know, everybody talks about the mystique and aura. And the reason that there's no mystique and aura at the new stadium is that the Yankees have only won the one world series there. Um, and they didn't win any in the 2010s. And that's really how you, how you create history and all that sort of stuff. But it definitely, there's definitely a different feel. It doesn't feel as loud. I remember being in the Yankee stadium press box, um, for wells's perfect game and for mm-hmm. you know the the tino home run in the 98 world series and those two nights especially in 2001 where the yankees came back in the ninth inning to One win the those greatest games things in Arizona. In oh. yeah after after 9 11 on you know back to back for that to happen on back to back nights against the same pitcher you know game tying home runs and then win the game in, in extra innings it was just amazing but i felt like the stadium was going to fall down and you don't ever get that feeling at the new stadium even when it's full um You know, the Yankees need to need to create some 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 big moments uh, in the new stadium for it to for it to even come close to comparing because all the you know, all the ghosts and all the uh, all the history was at the other stadium. And it was hard to it's been hard to replicate that at the new one.
0: We touched on this earlier when we spoke about uh, your book. Um, What is it about covering the Yankees? Is there a great amount of pressure to Always have a story. Did did, did your editor say, like, if nothing's happening with the Yankees, something must be wrong because there's always something going on? Because I've covered other teams. I covered the Rockies. I covered the Phillies. I covered uh, the Seattle Mariners. I mentioned that. And I didn't get that sense. If it was just a ho-hum day at the ballpark when Jeff Becero's getting lit up, that was it that was that was all there was there yeah. wasn't always a tale to be told did you always find that it was constant pressure to see what's going on
1: well constant pressure absolutely because like say like I was at the daily news when I was covering and you, you know there was it was before the kind of the immediacy of Twitter and and uh you know just just the internet in general where you know somebody gets a story and you can confirm it you know they, they post it online and you can confirm it within a few minutes you know in those days like I used to call it like the death march to go get the papers in the morning because you didn't know. There was no way of knowing what was going to be in the other papers. You know, in, in the late 90s, George Steinbrenner was still kind of in his heyday, maybe as not as crazy as he was in the 80s. But like when I was on the beat from 97 to, to 2000, you know, you had to call George's office in Florida pretty much every day because you didn't know. He, he, it was kind of no rhyme or reason to when he would call people back. Um, so every, pretty much every morning you had to place a call and my first year on the beat, I didn't even have a cell phone, which is crazy to think of now. Wow. Um, I remember being on the road and, you know, placing a call to his office in the morning um, and then not leaving the hotel room for the rest of the day. Um, you know, because until you had to go to the ballpark, um, you know, you would call him in the morning and then like, you know, like I said, not having a cell phone, like say somebody calls you and you're like, yeah, I can't talk. I got to go. Cause God forbid you 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 talk to somebody for ten minutes and then you hung up the phone and the red light was flashing on your phone, right? So you know Steinbrenner was was definitely the X factor in the years that I was covering because you know because if he didn't if you missed his call he didn't he didn't call you back after that and if you missed his call he was probably going to call somebody else and give mm-hmm. them a story. So to me in those years that was it. I always used to say that covering the games was probably the fifth most important thing that you did covering the Yankees because there was always so much periphery stuff going on. Um, you know, I I think that's probably a little bit less now, but there's definitely a lot of pressure in New York. It's so very visible, uh, you know, which reporters are, are breaking significant news. And, and especially now with the immediacy of everything, uh, you know, there's so much pressure, uh, with the Yankees, it's, it's still the highest profile beat in, in especially in New York. Um, you know, the Knicks haven't been, haven't been good for so long. Um, they, you know, the, the Knicks to me were the the one team that can rival the Yankees. There was actually a time where I thought the Knicks were the bigger team in New York in the, in kind of the, in the Riley years, in the early nineties and facing Jordan in the playoffs every year um, before the Yankees started winning world series again. But the Yankees have been the, the prime uh, number one beat in New York for, you know, for a couple of decades now.
0: Well, and, and it's interesting because baseball as a sport hasn't, hasn't, uh gotten more popular and it, it, tell me if, if if you disagree i i kind of get the sense that younger people just don't have the same passion for baseball that we had growing up but more so you know my years at mlb i was with mlb for 01 to 08 and i just got the sense it was the biggest show in town like you know yankee stadium on a uh, uh, in 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 october was the place to be and it was just there was there was nothing else going on and now i get the sense that a lot of the people who are passionate it's those people who when when manfred is shaking his head going well we couldn't reach an agreement so i'm going to implement a season and people are like yay baseball play ball and i would venture if i did a study everyone i saw that on twitter and facebook and instagram they were all over 40 like, yeah, I think
1: that's no, true. Like my, there's no my, 15
0: year olds that give a, give a crap. Tell me your son's different, but I no. get the sense that nobody has the passion that we had.
1: My son grew up, you know, being a huge Yankee fan and, you know, he was you know, born in 1992. So it was like the right age, you know, for him growing up, uh, right. you know, just a, just a diehard Yankee fan, loved playing baseball and, you know, ended up he going older to. Older than I thought. I,
0: yeah, I thought you were a
1: lot younger. But he's, um, you know, he's he's going to be 28 this year, and I have to say, like, over the years, and i um, probably a lot of it is because the Yankees have only won one title in the last two decades. But, um, he's my son is much a much bigger NBA, college basketball, and and NHL and NFL fan than he is a baseball fan now. There's no question about it. He just uh, he doesn't he thinks the, you know, the games can 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 be tedious sometimes. He likes kind of the action of the other sports, and you know, I think a lot of it had to do with kind of the fantasy aspects of the other sports the fantasy football and things like that. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely drifted away from baseball as he's, as he's gotten older. And i and I feel like that's, that's true for a lot of his generation.
0: I, 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 I worry about the sport, you know, I, before the pandemic, you know, before any of this, I used to say that I thought baseball was in a bonafide crisis and that there were two crises, the 21 CBA and the reason is is because unlike O2, which I covered, and 94, which was a massive one, uh, led to the cancellation of the World Series, right. this isn't about simple dollars and cents. Yes, it is sort of, but they're so philosophically opposed the way uh, the league wants to diminish the value of the starting pitcher, the way uh, base running is no longer a thing, the way defense is no longer a big deal. Uh, the launch angle and the too many strikeouts. So all the pitching numbers are skewed and how junk ballers and sinker ball pitchers don't get a chance. And there's so many things going on in baseball that they are so diametrically opposed. I don't know how they don't have a work stoppage. And now the owners are going to cry poverty because of this. And the players can, all the players want to say is show me the books for 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, how far you want to go back. And, they, you know, that that's the only argument from the player's perspective, but the players are trying to recreate, you know, the, the world that they all grew up thinking their careers were going to be. So, yeah, Mookie Betts will sign and Bryce Harper will sign, but I don't know what starting pitchers are getting signed. And I don't know. This game is just slower and slower and slower and slower. So there's the 21 crisis, but then there's the crisis of 20 years from now when I'm in my 60s, and you know we're in a situation where the kids who are now then will be grown up. They're not buying season ticket packages. They're not. They're not doing what people my age are doing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely to, to your first point. It's definitely a, a far different game than the one that we grew up with, right? I mean, it's the game. The game is definitely evolved, and and I and I think in some ways not for the better, but um, I, I think the money. I think the money. Will always be there for the superstar players, um, you know. You kind of, but you're kind of starting to see, like these last few years in free agency, the kind of the separation where the the guys in the middle are the ones who are going to get squeezed. Um, and and uh, you know, it's a it's a different animal. I mean, the, the the teams crying poverty to me is is crazy. I mean, they still have a ridiculous TV deal, and they still have you know as long as as long as the attendance numbers stay up i mean i'd be interested to see i mean the free agency for next year after a year where no fans are in the stands i mean i think you're going to see a completely dead free agent period next winter um or the, this coming winter i should say but um, so
0: we've had that in the past like we've we've yeah, had I mean, rumblings of that and it's not the the distrust you know don fear and bud hated each other Sure. Tony Clark doesn't hate Manfred, I think he laughs at Manfred, but he doesn't hate manfred right and they're they're not the same arrogance it's 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 very different, but they're so opposed to each other, and they're i don't know how i don't know how they get past this
1: yeah i mean the the acrimony that you saw just in terms of trying to get a get a season underway this year with everything else that's going on uh shows you that there's you know that the, that the few the immediate future of of negotiations between the union and the and the league is seems pretty precarious i you know i, I think you have to you have to be concerned uh, about it because um look we we lived through a couple of work stoppages you know uh in the in the past it's but it took a long time from from nine, you know from 94 it probably took a few years for baseball to get fully back and it took a a ped fueled home run race for it to happen um you know i don't know if if they if if they if they ever get to a point where they there's another stoppage a lockout a a strike anything like that i think it i think they're going to lose a lot of fans forever this time um and that's and that's troublesome it's troublesome to to me as somebody who 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 has loved the game his whole life and you know has worked in the in you know in the game covering it um I, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. And I think there's a chance that, uh, that they're not going to, you know, that, 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 that they can mess this thing up. And, and that's the, that's, that's a huge issue going forward these next couple of years.
0: Hmm. It's wild. And, you know, one other aspect that I was thinking of you and this is actually what, what it's funny. We've talked about all these things. One other thing that I've, I've suggested that I I was curious about from your perspective you know, you've covered New York sports for a long time. And it used to be that if you grew up in New York, you picked a hockey team, you picked a baseball team, you picked a a, a basketball team, and you picked a baseball team. You know, you you, p- you picked the teams. And now in the NBA, we have this world where if you are a Giannis fan because you like his Instagram and you like the way he carries himself and who knows, maybe you have similar interests, kind of like a soccer player, you root for these guys in a different angle. You, you root for these guys differently. And what I find interesting is you don't have to be in, with technology the way it is and Instagram the way it is, if you want to root for a guy on the Milwaukee Bucks or the LA Clippers or the Dallas Mavericks, it really doesn't matter. And in basketball, players sell the sport more than the team. And I don't even think any – I think that's evolved even more because when LeBron went to the Heat, that was a big, big story. LeBron going to the Lakers isn't a big story. Even when he went back to the Cavaliers, it was less than. I just think that the NBA has shown that you can sell these players. Kawhi Leonard is an icon, and he could play in Anchorage, Alaska, and it wouldn't make a difference. How has technology changed the New York sports scene in that – this generation doesn't have to like New York teams unless there's a reason to like them, not just because they're the hometown team.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. There's like it's like the classic uh, Jerry Seinfeld line, right? Like the we 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 just root for laundry, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I think I think because of because of the internet, you know, you can be a star like like you mentioned, you can be a star anywhere now. I mean, and and you know, we saw it with Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City and. Um, You know, you don't have to be you don't have to be in New York. And I think I think in the NBA, I think the biggest thing from a New York standpoint, I give so much credit to the fans who've stuck with this team with all the shenanigans that have happened the last two decades and the just complete mismanagement. Um, I I give them a lot of credit, those who have stuck with the Knicks. But. um, But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's definitely a player. The NBA, more than the other sports, is definitely a player driven league where the players are the kind of their own. Kind of their own commodity, their own corporations, things like that, and and I I think it definitely has swung New York sports a little bit. Where if you want to watch every game that Mike Trout plays, you can. And Where if you want to watch every game right. that Austin Matthews plays in the NHL, you can. So I mean, it's it's definitely different, you know, from from the from the days where the only sports you were watching outside of maybe one night a week, Monday night baseball, Monday night football, um, where you can pretty much watch any team or any player that you want to be a fan of. And I think you'll see that with Patrick Mahomes and the NFL and, and different great example. Yep. Yeah. Uh, different players who, if you want to follow them, you can pretty much watch every one of their games. Now, if, if you, if you get a package or you get uh, you know, or, or just the fact that the games are, are all on somewhere uh, you know, which, which definitely is a big difference from even 15, 20 years ago.
0: And there are going to be people who listen loyally to this podcast that are going to laugh because I tell this story more than once, but uh, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. So I do get to tell the story of, I played catch with Patrick Mahomes when he was five years old. Wow. Uh, I was covering, uh, I was working for MLB and we went to Minnesota twins camp and Pat Mahomes, uh, the pitcher uh, Mm -hmm. was retired and he went to go visit his buddies uh, Latroy Hawkins and Tory Hunter and Jack Jones, all dear friends of mine. And supposedly, and I don't remember this, but uh young Patrick Mahomes tossed a ball to me and I caught it and threw it back to him. Well, and, there you go. You
1: got you, I'm going to have to see video though. You got video?
0: I don't. There's nothing. There's, I, I don't even remember it. And Latroy Hawkins, and this is something I didn't know. Latroy Hawkins is Patrick Mahomes' godfather. And he went bananas on social media and I texted him and I just go, listen, I like him too. You know, (laughs) like he's, he's a good quarterback. Like this was the year they didn't win the Super Bowl, And I found out that he was the godfather and uh, Latroy has been on this podcast more than any other person. He is one up on Eli Manning. And the reason why they broke the tie is because I had to have Patrick Mahomes' godfather on if I'm not going to have Patrick Mahomes on, and that's my white whale. The the guy I need to have on this show is Patrick Mahomes because I have to find out if this story is actually true.
1: Wow. Yeah, I like that. I like that story. You know, interesting factoid about LaTroy Hawkins, he was the opposing starting pitcher uh, for David Wells' perfect game in 1998. That's correct. Sorry, knock my mic over.
0: <laughs> that, that, that's how important <laughs> that was. That's how big it was, yeah. I exactly. wanted to make that statement and, and walk out. That was it. Well, uh, Peter, again, the book is entitled uh, The Big 50. Uh, it's a great book. And uh, like we said in the beginning of the show, uh, it came out at a weird time. It came out during quarantine. And so, what I hope is that as sports comes back and hopefully this baseball season comes back, more people recognize just uh, what a great compilation of history the book is.
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks so much, Seth. Yeah. I mean, it came out in April. So, you know, we kind of tried to position it as, as, something that maybe could help fans get through the get through the shutdown in yeah. the quarantine. And, and, you know, I definitely had some fans reach out to me and, and tell me that that was the case. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm really happy with how it came out. And, um, you know, I feel like if you're a Yankee fan or just a baseball fan in general, I, I it, it, this, this book kind of covers a hundred years of Yankee history from the trade for Babe Ruth in 1920, all the way through last year. Uh, with the baby bombers, which is how I ended the book because I, I feel like this, this current crop of Yankees, um, you know, has to kind of cement its place in history by winning a world series. And that's kind of how I left the book off. So uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to do and, uh, and uh, it's still out there available. If anybody wants, if anybody's looking for something.
0: That's awesome. Uh, how do you feel? And I, I always end the podcast this way. How do you feel about social media? You know, you've had your voice through social media you know you're the same person and you tweet just as much as you did when you were we're, were working with the post how, how do you embrace it and man your personality shines through like i said i know you're snark because i've been reading you for my entire career but yeah. the, the, this idea that your social media is actually an
1: extension of your personality and other people should see how peter does it I, I try to, I try to have fun with it. i really just try to amuse myself. And if people like it, that's great. But, um, but I, but I, en- I enjoy, I enjoy the interaction on Twitter. I enjoy when people want to call me names or whatever. I don't really have a problem with it. Um, it's, it's all, you know, it's, it's all in good fun and that's what it should be. I'm, I'm not the kind of person that, you know, tweets out every, everything that happens on the field or every play. I kind of try to take a different, angle at it. I mean if they're if you, if that's what you're looking for, play by play and things like that, there are a million other people you can follow. I just try to, you know, I like to I like to 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 make a joke. Uh certainly all of them don't don't uh don't go out of the park. Uh you know I have you know you have as many swings and misses as you do as you do solid ones. But uh you know I enjoy a good uh, pop culture reference. Uh my kids will always tell me like nobody gets your references. They're too much about the 70s and the 80s. I'm like, yeah, well I mean you know, I'm like I said, I'm tweeting I'm uh, I'm tweeting for myself and that's kind of the era that I grew up in. And uh, you know, I try to have fun with it. And uh you know, I think there's a I think there's a place for all different for all different approaches, uh to Twitter especially. And uh, you know, if people enjoy it, that's great. I get people who tell me, Yeah, I'm unfollowing you now and that and I'm like, Okay, I mean that's great if it's oh, look, please. it's not the jokes aren't for everybody or whatever, and they you know, some people take it more seriously. Uh, you know, and I and I believe me, I take my job very seriously, but I try to have a little fun with, uh, with the social media aspect. Cause obviously we all have to be, we all have to be on there and it's part of, you know, it's part of branding and, the part, media, and, part yeah. of, and part of covering, you know, part of covering sports now is, is, is interaction with the fans. And the fact that you get to have that interaction, you know, for me is really valuable and it's great to, to get feedback from, from, from readers and fans. So, uh, you know, I try to enjoy it. There's no question. Uh, how can people find you online? um on twitter um just at peter body b-o-t-t-e um, and uh amazing that was available yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh you know i'm on i'm on instagram as well i don't do that as often but uh my kids convinced me when the book came out that i should be on instagram so i don't
0: understand how it works i don't understand what the <laughs> point of it is if i can put yeah, a picture on twitter what do i
1: need instagram for exactly I, I, I certainly haven't mastered the instagram part of it and uh you know, if I, if I need to do one of those stories, as the kids say, I, I usually have one of my kids do it for me, help me do it because I can't figure out how to do it. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm mostly, mostly Twitter for me. um, And, and I, I really enjoy it. And uh, like I said, I, I'm always willing to, I, when people reach out to me or ask me a question, I always try to get back to them if I can.
0: Well, uh, we will end this podcast uh, like we do all, all the others. And I will, I will say this first of all, uh, get the book, man, get the, the big 50 uh, by peter body uh it came out just back just in april it's, it's still really new uh and it's it's a fantastic read uh but if you had any issues with this uh episode if there's anything that peter body had to say that you don't agree with or you think is wrong do me a favor and reach out to him directly and leave <laughs> me the hell out. yeah uh, bring it on. I'm more,
1: than, more than more than willing to 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 chat up anybody
0: uh, and let's get you back writing very very soon my friend thanks Seth. i appreciate you having me on that's uh, Peter Boddy, and uh, I'm Seth Everett. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the downloads and the subscriptions uh, and the ratings and the reviews. They've been pretty good as, as well. Uh, this is another edition of Sports with Friends. We'll see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me
1: to stay i got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all about you can't take
0: me for granted and smile